Welcome to church. My name is Torben. This morning, we'll be continuing our sermon series that focuses on Philippians. Pastor Doug will be going through Philippians 2, 5 to 6, and 9 to 11 with his message titled, Majesty in a Manger. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. Head to calvarycommunity.ca serve to see how you can get involved here. On the page, you have different ministries you can join, engage with community, and see a little bit about what is going on here at Calvary. Make sure you're staying up to date on our social media and rolling announcements. We've got a lot of events that we don't want you to miss. We're so glad you could join us today. Wow, so good to see so many wonderful faces this morning, new faces and familiar faces. Um, I'm Doug, and I'm another one of the pastors here, and we are so close to Christmas. Um, and I want to echo Pastor Barry's comments. Uh, a huge thank you to Pastor Nathan and our incredible volunteer team and organizing team that just they left it all out on the field Friday night. All of our volunteers did, and we did well. Calvary, congratulations. We did so well in loving our neighbors uh, this Friday. So, husbands, have you gotten your Christmas shopping done yet? Well, Pastor Doug, my wife said she doesn't want anything for Christmas. Yeah, okay. Well, if you believe her... You are not a very wise man, but you are a very brave man. So, you see, 2,000 years ago, wise men had gifts for Jesus. And 2,000 years later, husbands make sure they have gifts for their wives. Not only, and if you do, you will be a wise man as well. Not only a wise man, but you'll be a happy man and an alive man. So, let's open in prayer. Father, we pray for those husbands who haven't bought presents yet, that you would give them strength and courage and wisdom, and protect them as well. Uh, seriously, though, God, we invite you into the service this morning. It, we are so thrilled that we can experience your love and joy and peace, not just at Christmas, but all year round. And God, we thank you that you came 
As a child, you gave up all your glory and majesty to come as a little baby to rescue us from our brokenness, to rescue from us from our hurt, and to give, give us a fresh start, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's face it. Society loves superheroes. They really do, and they just can't get enough of them. The 30 Marvel movies have grossed over $28 billion, and all of the, Chris, of the superhero movies over the last 25 years or so have grossed over $60 billion. So superheroes are everywhere in our culture. Author Joseph Conrad, many years ago, he was asked why throughout history the same stories keep repeating. The tales of heroism and nobility and striving and self-sacrifice and redemption and a person or, or people to be rescued. And he answered, because these are the only themes worth writing about. And it's true, these are the stories and the themes that stir our emotions. In one of the most recent Superman movies, reporter Lois Lane wrote, I don't think this world needs Superman. The world doesn't need a savior. Later in the movie, Superman says to her, he says, you wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear people crying for one. How profound was that? that every day we hear people crying for a savior. And that is a very sobering around us, uh, a very sobering reality all around us. People are hurting, people are broken, people are full of hopelessness and they're crying out for help. And it's because of our vulnerability and pain and our weakness as human beings that we crave superheroes to rescue us. So, how did we get to this place? How did we get into this mess? Well, you see, at the beginning of time, God didn't want to be alone. God desired relationship. He wanted friendship. He wanted a family. So he creates human beings just like you, just like me. But in order for him in order for him to love us, and more importantly, for us to love him back, he creates us with free will, the ability to choose. If we did not have free will or the ability to choose, we would just be robots. Because robots do not have the ability to choose, nor to love, nor to think independently, unless you've watched the Terminator movies, of course, um, so God creates us and puts us on this amazing planet with everything we'd ever need, and yet we say, no thanks, God, no thank you. We reject his love, and we push him away, we mess up, and then boom, everything crashes. His human creation, who he loves and whom he made for friendship and family, choose to reject him. Ouch. Can you imagine his pain? 
And this resulting uh, decision of our free will causes this vast void between us and God. And it's insurmountable. It's uncrossable. It's a huge mess and completely without hope. But God refuses to give up on us. He puts into motion an incredible plan to bring his creation, to bring his family, to bring you and me back into friendship and relationship with him. God initiates his plan for the divine rescue of the human race. And did you know that ancient writings actually predict and tell of the coming of our superhero. Here is one from seven to eight hundred years before the birth of Christ. And it says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, look, the virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as a matter of fact, most historians and scholars believe there were over 300 predictions or prophecies from ancient texts that tell of our coming rescuer. And this rescuer wasn't Superman, nor Batman, nor Wonder Woman, nor any political or religious leader, but instead a fragile little baby born to an innocent girl in a humble stable. The coming of God himself into this world as the baby Jesus, as our majesty in a manger, was the turning point of all of history. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said that when Christ came, with the coming of Christ, the hero myth finally became a fact. What human beings had always longed for, what they had always hoped for, and what they still today yearn and pray for, that life has meaning, that we are not on our own, that there is someone on our side, and that that someone at their very very core loves and cares for us and has purpose for us. These things, C.S. Lewis said, is what the good news of Jesus is all about. So, every time we write a date, every time we look at a calendar or our phones, every time you celebrate your birthday, or especially at this Christmas season, All of those moments point back to the birth of Jesus, our rescuer, our superhero, our majesty in a manger. And Jesus was not just a good man or or just a prophet or the founder of yet another world religion. He was God himself on a divine mission to rescue the human race one person at a time. So today and next Sunday, as part of our Philippians series, we'll be looking at the two natures 
of our rescuer. We'll be looking at his divinity and we'll be looking at his humanity. So today I'll be focusing on the divinity of Christ and the title of my message is Majesty in a Manger. And next Sunday, Pastor Barry will have the sequel focusing on the humanity of Jesus. So if you're wondering this morning, what is the word divinity? What does it even, even mean? Well, what we're talking about is Jesus actually being divine, meaning that he is God. So why is Jesus' divinity so important? Well, why is it a big deal? Well, because throughout the Bible, we see in many different ways the proof that Jesus is God. However, however, other religions and cults say things like, yeah, Jesus is cool, and yeah, he was a good man, he was a great teacher, he was a prophet, but don't you dare call him God. There was even a strong heresy some 1,500 years ago that said Jesus was simply a created being created by God, and therefore not actually God himself. And it's very interesting that um, even today, that belief is very prevalent among cults and among uh, groups like the Mormons or the JWs that deny Jesus is God. <clears throat> uh, sorry. Um, I recently saw a brand new poll that indicated that while 80%, it was an American poll, 80% of Americans believe Jesus is the Son of God, and 72% say the birth of Jesus was a historical fact, only 41%, less than half, believe that Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. But for us, for us, he is more important than that. For the world, he is more important than that. His divinity is the centerpiece of our faith. His divinity is the hope of our world. So let's begin reading. Philippians 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Some kind of unusual language here, and a simpler way to translate verse 5 would be to say that you must have the same great attitude that Jesus had. And Pastor Barry, over the last few weeks, has shared about the importance of having Christ-like attitudes, such as humility and unity and, and loving and putting others first, even as Christ did. And now Paul continues showing us the example that Jesus sets for us and says, hey, you need to have that same humble attitude that Jesus had. Then, then, and this is so important, Paul sets out to show how Jesus is actually God. And he does this by very intentionally and very carefully using some really cool and unique words that are really quite fascinating. So the first word is the word being. Being, like what could be so interesting about that? But it's a Greek compound word that comes from two words, meaning from 
and first or original or beginning. So you put them together and it literally means someone who is from the beginning or from the first or the original or in other words, someone who has always existed. Verse 6 Instead of saying, who being in the form of God, could be translated, who eternally existed in the form of God, or who has always existed in the form of God. And that is pretty powerful stuff. In other words, our Savior, our majesty in a manger, who came to earth as a baby to rescue us. This was not his first appearance. This was not his first time that he showed up. It was only a brief stop in his eternal existence. Then Paul goes on to use another unique word, which is form. I know, doesn't sound so unique, but the word form. And he had two Greek words he could have chosen from. But he carefully chose the one that means essentially unchanging character or nature of something. The essential unchanging character or nature of something. So put these two words together and you get this. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had, who eternally existed as the unchanging character or nature of God. It's really pretty cool and it points us towards Jesus actually being God. Then he uses a a third word, robbery. And it's like, okay, that is so random. Why is he using the word robbery here? Well, the Greek word literally means, and it seems kind of common sense, the Greek word literally means to grab or see something and not let it go, like a thief stealing a purse, okay? So what Paul is trying to say here is that even though Jesus has always existed as God, he was not going to hold on to it so tightly that he was unwilling to let it go. In other words, it was more important for Jesus to let it go so he could come to earth as a baby to rescue you to rescue me. I'm so glad that happened, aren't you? Pastor Barry will tell us this uh, second part of the story next Sunday. However, I just wanted to preview it with this. So I was watching a a superhero movie recently where the hero, he was actually, he was kind of like an anti-hero and he was was really super dark. And, And so he said that, He said, I have been a slave, I have been a servant, but now I've become a god. Well, Jesus took the very opposite approach. And being God, he willingly let go of it to become a servant. Then this week, I read this very interesting quote. It said, a thousand times in history, A baby has become a king. Sure. But only once in history did a king become a baby. 
So make sure you tune in next week for part two. So where else in the Bible do we see proof of Jesus being God? Well, the entire book of John is full of references to that fact. Let's look at, uh, at some of them. So in John chapter 1, he refers to Jesus as the Word. So the Word is actually Word. And goes on to say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So here we see several key points. Jesus was in the beginning. Can you say that with me? Jesus was in the beginning. So that means he was self-existent. He was not a created being. It also shows us that Jesus was God in the beginning. Can you say that with me as well? Jesus was God in the beginning. So there was never a time in his existence when he wasn't God. Uh, number three, Jesus was with God in the beginning. You know the drill. Jesus was with God in the beginning. So I want you to listen carefully to the language of Genesis 1.26 at the beginning of all of creation. God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. So the person of God, therefore, eternally exists in three completely separate beings who are actually one. This is a fascinating study on the Trinity, which we don't have time to go in this morning. But Jesus was with God. Jesus was God at the beginning. And the fourth thing is he created all things. Say that with me. He created all things. Nothing has been created except by him. Jesus, uh, John goes on to further confirm Jesus' deity by recounting seven miraculous signs or wonders uh, and miracles that Jesus performed that pointed him to being God the Father, to them being one. He also lists uh, seven times that Jesus uses the word, I am. Well, we use the word I am all the time, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But when Jesus used it, he was using the Hebrew name Yahweh, which has an eternal meaning to it. It literally means I was before time existed. I am here and presently now, and I will always be for all of eternity. So Jesus doing that completely speaks of him having the same eternal characteristics of God. Uh, Paul in the book of Colossians is also clear on the divinity of Christ. He says, Jesus is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, and Jesus himself existed and is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. 
He goes on to say, for it pleased the Father for all the fullness of deity, the sum total of all his essence, all his perfection, all his powers and attributes to dwell permanently in him, in Jesus the Son. And then finally in 2.9 it says, all of God lives fully in Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in a human body. Additionally, Jesus throughout his life and ministry and and it, it infuriated the, the religious leaders of that time. But throughout his time on earth, he continually um, made statements that attributed, that could only be attributed to God. And they were furious with him. And we're going to look at a handful of those. There's over 30 of those. But uh, Jesus claimed he could forgive sins as only God could. Jesus claimed Old Testament scripture references that applied specifically to God. Jesus claimed characteristics like omnipotence, being all-powerful, and omnipresence, being everywhere all at once, that could only be attributed to God. Jesus required loyalties of love and devotion that could only be towards God. Jesus promised things that only God could promise. And finally, Jesus allows people to worship him, which would have, he would have been violating the very uh, commandment that God gave to worship no other God. So, so Jesus, all of these things, all of these examples, and we do have a chart for those of you who are uh, a little more studious. We have a chart that lists all the ways the Bible shows that Jesus is God. But in summary, in summary, Jesus, the exact living image of God, who existed before all things as the fullness of God, he packed himself into a human shell, first as a tiny baby, and then growing fully into a man. I want us to sit on this for just a moment. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, who we are named after as followers of Christ, as Christians, who all of time and history revolves around, the mighty, majestic God of this entire universe chose to love you. He specifically chose to love you. As a matter of fact, his love for you was so great that he left his throne that sits over all the stars in the universe. He left all of his glory and his majesty. He left eternity to be born to a teenage mom in a stinky stable. He left all of it to walk among us in our brokenness. So why? Why would the God of the universe do something like that? Why would he give up something as glorious as that for the purpose of coming to earth and rescuing us? How incredible is that this morning that he gave it all up to come to earth to rescue us? And because 
because of his willingness and obedience to do so, we see how God honors him. So Paul continues, he says, For this reason also, because he obeyed and so completely humbled himself, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in submission, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the sovereign God, to the glory of God the Father. This is powerful stuff because Jesus willingly stepped out of eternity. He let go of all of his unimaginable glory and all imaginable power and took on a human body with all of its frailty for 33 and a half years and walked among us, walked among our brokenness. And then, and then suffered and died for you. Because of this, God incredibly honors him. You know, at home, we have a, a small toy manger, manger set that the grandkids play with. And before you know it, there's a donkey lying in the manger and um, baby Jesus is riding a cow or, or Joseph is flying with the angels. And it's, you know, it's all very innocent and it's very precious. And Jesus came. The first time as a little baby boy in Bethlehem. And shepherds and wise men, they bowed before him. They worshipped him. But when he comes again, and it could be very soon, he will come as king of kings and lord of lords. And it won't just be a handful of, of humble shepherds bowing before him. But every intelligent being from humans to angels and demons will bow. Amen. The word bow here is the Greek word that means to bow low in submission. Paul uses it as a picture of someone who, or, or a being who will bend their knee willingly or otherwise to acknowledge authority. Is it an, it's an action that expresses honor, respect, and worship. And I want to be very clear here. So listen up this morning. There's a day coming when all of heaven and earth and hell will bow their knees in honor, respect, humility, and worship of the majesty of Jesus Christ as Lord and King. It's not a matter of if we will. It's a rather a question of when and how we will. Will we freely do it while still living on this earth or will we do it from the vantage point of heaven or hell? And it isn't going to be a quiet event either. It says that every, every tongue will confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the sovereign God. The word confess is another Greek compound word that means to speak or declare something out, to yell it out loud. 
This means that one day this entire universe will resonate with the voices of all who have ever lived as they thunderously shout out and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The most important question of your life this morning is, where will you be bowing and acknowledging Jesus as your Lord from? In reflection, I want you to to close your eyes and I want you to picture this with me. So go ahead and close your eyes. So almighty, majestic God, not bound nor restricted by time, has seen each and every one of our lives, our joys and our our sorrows, from the thieves on the crosses on each side of him 2,000 years ago to you and me today. And as God has looked down upon his precious creation, those who his heart breaks for relationship with, God is flooded by emotion from intense love to the pain of rejection. I love you and you and you, he says. And yet we constantly turn our backs on him But when we do so, he whispers, don't be afraid, for I have provided a way back for you, a way back to my love. And with those words still ringing in heaven, he takes off his robe of light and puts on a fragile suit of skin and humanity. All the power, glory, and majesty of the universe, he chooses to surrender it all for a dark, cold stable. Only the all-powerful, only the almighty could come to earth and pay the price for our rejection of him. No other religion in the world has their God loving humanity so much that they surrender their power and glory and majesty to come and be among human beings and then to be tortured and die for their people's sins and failures. Only Jesus, who else is like him? You can open your eyes. The divine giving of himself, the divine rescue of the human race by our superhero in a stable, our majesty in a manger, is what we celebrate this time of year. And all you need to take away from the Christmas story is that God loves you more than you could ever comprehend. And he gave up all of heaven. He gave up all of heaven just for you. Jesus came and suffered and died and rose again to help you have hope in the middle of the hurt and pain of this life. There's nothing you could do to cause God to love you more and nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. And in just a few days, we will exchange gifts and yet the greatest gift ever 
is right before you this morning. Will you freely receive it? Will you acknowledge that God gave up everything for you because he loves you so much and wants to take away your pain and rejection? The dancers can go ahead and and line up. Um, But if that is you this morning, if you feel like your heart is racing, if you feel like someone is tugging at your heart, why don't you pray along with me? So let's just bow our heads. We're going to just um, pray together, and you may have never prayed before, but you can just repeat after me. So let's, let's bow our heads. Jesus, I want to thank you for coming to earth to rescue me. Thank you for dying for me. I'm sorry for doing things my own way. Forgive me for my sin. Jesus, I receive your free gift of love and forgiveness. I acknowledge that you are Lord. Thank you for a fresh start. Amen. And with everyone's eyes still closed for just a minute, if that was you praying that for the first time ever, I'd love to to see you raise your hand and just acknowledge that you received God's free gift today. If you prayed it for the first time, just raise your hand. Thank you very much. And we'd love for you to slip up to the front here afterwards so we can pray with you and tell us all about the exciting news. So as the dancers go ahead and come on up, uh, let me pray for all of us as well. Jesus, we pray this morning that you would help us to see the truth, the wonder, the awe, the majesty of who you are. Help us to see your magnificence Christmas where heaven came down and met earth is truly a holy season. May we share the beauty and love and reverence of it with all those around us, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.